You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Today's guest is a longtime concessionaire in our industry and currently serves on the executive board of NICA as the immediate past president. He joins us today from Arizona, where he's on a little vacay. This is Don Delahoy. Don, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Robert. Don, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, you've been in the concession business a long time. Can you tell us how it all started for you? Yeah, kind of kind of by accident. I had um, I started uh, in the restaurant business at an early age, and I had several restaurants. Um, the local fair had run an ad looking for a beer vendor, and I looked, looked through it, and it looked profitable. And so uh, I put in a proposal and got it. And that was 30-some years ago, and and uh, I'm still doing that same beer concessions uh, today. Um, we kind of uh, grew from there and added uh, margarita stands and, and different uh, food stands. And um, my son took over the business a couple of years ago and we we're at about 10, 10 stands of uh, a variety of different foods and, and drink. That's terrific. So how many events do you all typically do in a year? I think we're up around 24, 25, something like that. That's pretty impressive. And I, as I understand, you operate mainly on the West Coast. So uh, you're doing what, like California fairs, Washington, fairs like those? California, Oregon, Washington. Yeah. That's perfect. Is there a fair in there that's a favorite fair? Well, um, you know, we used to have, I used to have the on-site concessions at the Sonoma County Fairgrounds. We had all the events that happened there year round. And uh, um, it was fun. It was a real challenge, but it was fun. Um, as time goes by and management changes and et cetera, et cetera, that's, that's changed some, but uh, that was always good. And of course my hometown fair, I get to see all the locals. I, I was born and raised there. So a lot of those people, you know, you don't see them, but once or twice a year. So um, yeah, it was good. Well, we, I know we just had uh, recently had Caitlin Finley Thorne on from Sonoma County and it sounds like it's just a fantastic fair. It's one as an entertainer, I have yet to be able to get up to, um, but it sounds like it's a really a real terrific event. I'm curious in all your time though, uh, as a concessionaire, did you ever create a signature dish? Um, we've done quite a few of those things. Um, you know, we are, uh, featured on carnival eats. I think I've been on there four or five times, my son, several times, other people in our company. And those are all, you know, those different items. Um, Probably one of the more unusual things we, we do year in and year out is a lobster corn dog out of our fish stands. We make our own lobster sausage and then uh, dip it in corn dog batter and serve it with a lemon aioli. And along with that, we also do lobster french fries, probably our most popular item out of our fish stands. Uh, we have a gourmet burger stand. We, we do fresh squeezed lemonade uh, out of the big lemons. We have several of those. And... Um, uh, we've done, we barbecue, we do, you know, you name it. We've, we've probably selling it. We have the corn dog stands and the funnel cake stands and all, all that as well. So, well, that, that lobster sausage, uh, corn dog sounds pretty fascinating. I haven't seen one of those, um, uh, when I've been out at about at the fairs I've gone to, is it one of your better sellers? Um, it sounds okay. It, it's like $17, you know, because it's lobster. Right. Yeah. So this <laughs> but, uh, is real lobster. This isn't like an imitation crab or something. You're putting real lobster in that. What it is, it's 51% lobster. And so yeah. we're allowed to call it lobster and then um, it. it's 49% white fish, but it. it's still an expensive product, you know? Oh and, yeah. Uh, lobster's not cheap. 
our, our fish stands are called sharkies. I don't know if you've been around any of those, but both of our sharky stands do that. I, well, I'll tell you what, next time I'm around it, I'm going to keep 17 bucks in my pocket just so I can try that. Cause it sounds delicious. Um, certainly in that time, you know, as a concessionaire, you face your fair share of challenges, certainly the pandemic being one of them. And we'll get to all that in a minute. What are some of the challenges concessionaires are facing right now? Well, um, you know, there's several that are ongoing. Um, the, probably the biggest is labor, uh, trying to find enough people that, and enough conscientious people to do the job. You know, uh, we have been using H2B labor for about 15 years uh, for some of our key guys. And when we can get them, that, that's worked out well. Uh, we have some employees in different towns that every time we get to that town, they come work for us, you know, a little extra money for people with other jobs. Uh, we use some, you know, younger people that are out looking for a job uh, that can be difficult, but we try. And uh, so I, I think labor is the biggest, you know, deposits to the fairs have always been a problem. Um, you know, you come out of winter and, and these, all these fairs want big money and you haven't worked for four or five months. Um, you know, it can, it can make it a real challenge, you know, so but, sure. uh, and, and some of the fairs over the last, uh, you know, and Mike has been instrumental in that, um, have either reduced or eliminated the deposit. You know, originally the deposit was supposed to be to guarantee that you were going to show up and that you didn't double book and just leave a fair hanging. But uh, it's kind of come full circle to financing the fair, it seems like, you know, so that's a concessionaire's uh, outlook on it anyway. Well, and I understand some of those deposits can be pretty steep. It's not like a couple hundred bucks. It's, it's oh, no, thousands, yeah. thousands per fare. And if you do a lot of shows or you have a lot of stands, it really adds up. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I got to imagine with the number of shows and stands you guys have, that's got to be a pretty steep bill for you guys. I, I think the last time I paid my, you know, it was somewhere forty, fifty thousand dollars for, for the season, you know, and that's money that, you know, hopefully if you have a full season, a productive season, then it's worth the investment, but that's 50 grand is a lot of money to just it, to be sitting out there waiting for a show in August. That's a long when time I, uh, to be, be flowing. When I, first got in the, when I first got in the business, I used to have a deal with the bank where, you know, they take a second on my house every year because, you know, so I could, uh, I could get open for the season. I had, I had that one show Santa Rosa, the deposits were 30,000 just for that show. So. That's big time money. That's big time money. Um, I'm curious when you're traveling, I, and I, as I understand it, your son kind of runs the business now. How many people are you typically hiring? Hiring, and are they traveling with you, or or is it local help you're looking for? Well, we we would like them to travel with us. Of course, all of our H2B. We have three bunk houses. That sleep that sleeps 27 people. So, um, you know, but we have more than one show going most of the time. So one, one will go to one and one go to another, you know, um, but it just depends, you know, if we have a lot of stands, it, it can get up to a hundred employees, you know, if it's, um, you know, if we're only in, in there with one stand, you know, we might not be hiring anybody there. Yeah, for sure. And I know that H2B program, we were talking with Debbie Powers from um, Powers Great American Midway. She cleared it up real easy because you always hear the politicians say, oh, you know, all these visa programs are taking American jobs. But she she went ahead and said everybody straight that there are not Americans that are are banging down your door to go on the road and, you know, or work with the carnival for six or seven months out of the year. 
Absolutely not. And part of that H2B program is you have to advertise full page ads in newspapers telling exactly what you're, what you got and what you're doing. And I think in four years I had one applicant, you know, so. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> it's def- not taking American jobs. No, not at all. Well, let's look back at uh, 2020 briefly. Um, it's not a great year to look back at, but we're going to, we'll spend a few minutes talking about it. What's going through your mind when the pandemic hits and events all across the country start canceling? Well, we figured that it, like most, I think, I have two or three months and we'd be like, you know, I'm back to work or whatever. Um, our season doesn't really get into full bore in, until about the first of June and that was March. So we weren't totally concerned, but um, my, my son and I started talking about an alternate plan B, you know, if it's what happens, what do we do, you know? And, and so uh, he put together um, these fair food drive throughs I think we were probably one of the first ones to do that. And we started doing it on the uh, on or near the fair dates, you know, so people kind of had fair in their mind when we were there. And uh, we brought in other other vendors to uh, sub in different foods and stuff. And we ended up uh, he ended up having a, a real good year. Amazingly, uh, you know, good profits and and um, uh, they did a lot of sales and he helped out some other vendors that got to work as well. That's terrific. At what point in the year did you realize this pandemic was going to really have a, a large impact on the fair industry and, and your concession business? Well, after, you know, five cancellations or so, you know, <laughs> it wasn't too far into it, you know, uh, uh, we realized that, hey, this this is probably going to happen. I mean, we we kind of plan for a second year of it we hope it doesn't happen you know we're we're doing drive-throughs and stuff we're planning those now with the idea that if we go to work it we won't do it but at least we'll have them lined up if 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 there's no work you know so we were i just got back from florida um this week you know florida week and uh, we went to two fairs while we were there the florida fairs are running yep so you know um and I see Ohio and I see some other places that um, are, are going to open up or say they're going to open up. And unfortunately, in California, we live in another world. Yeah. Well, and just before we got on to recording, I saw it come across from Carnival Warehouse. I think it was um, Virginia. The governor's just eased restrictions on their um, on outdoor events. But large outdoor events are still being capped at 1,000 people instead of 250 and amusement parks are now being capped at 50%. So it's good that they're starting to be able to open, but it begs the question, is it even, can they even turn a profit or are they just going to hemorrhage money if they open at 50%? Right. Um, you know, there's several um, ideas being passed around out there. Like the 50% is maybe, um, you know, like the, in a fair, the average stay is, I don't know, three, three hours, three and a half hours, something like that. And so there's talk about running, um, you know, a morning, a afternoon and an evening shift, so to speak. And so if you ran those three, essentially, you could get your full number maybe of guests, you know, but spread out through the day. So that's one of the things I know that's been cons- being considered. Um, I don't know, we're, it's not going to be business as usual anywhere, I don't think, you know, we, in Florida, we went to Kissimmee, which is right at the entrance to uh, Disney. Yep. And uh, there was a fair going on there and it was it was pretty busy, you know, and and uh, Disney was sold out that day. I saw a sign, you know, I don't know what their capacity is there. I mean, you know, if they're running at 50 percent or 25 percent or whatever. But, um, you know, we're here in Arizona. We just got uh, 
tickets for a spring training. They're they're running at twenty five percent, but they're they're doing it, you know. And yes, yeah. I I know what you're saying about the income side of it. Of course, a lot of major sports were running with no no uh, spectators, so you can imagine what that was costing. Yes, I mean, I mean I understand these teams are run by billionaires, but um, billionaires expect a return on their money, <laughs> and when yeah. they can't sell a ticket. Uh, you know, they can't put 40,000 butts in the seats and money get, you know, people, their public, their customers are, are laid off and furloughed from their own jobs. So there's not a hundred dollars to buy a Jersey, all, all of that compounds and, and sure. the money and starts grinding to a halt. And beverage money. And, you know, so I guess they got their TV money and that's, that's probably about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, now you're past president of NICA. Um, tell us briefly about what NICA is and, and how they support their service members. Okay. Well, NICA stands for the National Independent Concessionaires Association. It's uh, 27 years old and uh, started in Florida, but it, it actually, we have members in every state now. We do run um, some councils, like we have a West Council and an East Council, and those are just groups that kind of centralize in that area to uh, to give our members a little more um, local feel for it. Our main thing is just to um, open the lines of communication with the vendors as well as vendors and fairs. We have uh, uh, communication groups, and we work with all of our sister organizations to to just try to make it a better place to work. You know, so. We currently have about 1,200 members. That's a big group. That's a real yeah, big group. For- it, I, I say 1,200. Um, you know, with the pandemic, uh, a lot of people haven't been renewing, and we've given leeway on that for quite a bit. So I, I don't know what that exact number is. But when the pandemic started, we were at about 1,200. So, Got it. Um, you mentioned earlier, you know, a little bit ago, Florida Week and the, the GiveTown event. You, we just spoke with Debbie Power. She was down there. Um, what do you think of the event? Well, you know, we got our event off. We have a, we have a, a, a food show as well as some training and stuff. We did it in just two days this year, a little smaller than usual. And we had all the limitations from the hotel. Uh, we, we couldn't have our gala banquet and we couldn't, you know, those kind of things. Um, the food show was in shifts, like I was talking about fares, you got a ticket and you, then we had three different shifts so that the, it wasn't crowded in there and they weren't giving away, handing out food like they usually do. They'd send you samples so you could sample at home if you wanted or whatever. Uh, and so our part of it, there was actually more people there than, than we thought there would be, you know, so, and, and it went very smooth. Uh, we went out to Gibtown on Thursday, I think it was. And, um, I think that was one of their better days because they said it had been really slow, but uh, there was some people around. The show was much, much smaller than usual, you know, um, maybe half or less. But yeah. uh, I'd heard that they were somewhat happy with it for what for what it was. And, you know, part of it is they got it off. You know, there's right. We, we did something. We didn't just sit home and, and uh, throw our hands up like so many, so many have had to, you know. For sure. Well, and even even at 50% or 45%, it's still got to be nice, um, you know, mentally um, to get a little reprieve and see your friends again and and be able to connect and visit with them and catch up. We had a great time. You know, there was about six couples from the West that never had been that went because they weren't working, you know, and so uh, 
we, we had a lot of fun, you know, and uh, um, we, uh, you know, uh, OABA puts on a top golf event. And so we all went and hit golf balls and have to be my uh, granddaughter's first birthday while we were there. So uh, we got to celebrate with her. And um, my, my son is a, a new uh, board member to, uh, to NICA. So it was his first board meeting. He came as well. That's terrific. Um, you know, just, just starting to get our events and something going, um, I think is, is meaningful to those of us who have been kind of forced to sit on the sidelines for the, the past year. Um, I know I've got the Florida convention coming up in May and a friend of mine who's got an act at a couple of fairs down in Florida uh, next month. And then the beginning of April called up and, and needed some help with them. So I'm like, yes, I'll go. I'm not doing my own act, but I'm just happy to be able to get in my truck and go drive someplace again and, and be at a fair. It's, it's time for these events to start getting open. You talked there about California a little bit. What are we, uh, what are we looking at in California as far as the state of the lockdown right now? Well, everything's locked down. There's no inside dining, no bars open, um, you know, stores running at 25%. Uh, I don't know. It's county by county in California. And I was talking to um, my bar manager this morning because we've been closed since March. Um, and she was saying that that the thought is, you know, they, he, the governor has all these tier things, you know, and the tier we're in, they think we're going to go into the the red tier which is the better one next and and that would mean inside dining up to 50 percent gyms 10 percent um what was it stores at 50 percent or 25 percent? i don't know they have a whole formula that doesn't make any sense to me but uh you know hopefully we're progressing in the right direction well i i sure hope so we we got to start getting it's not just you know when talking about the fairs it's not just opening the fairs the fairs need to be able to get their non-fair rental income going businesses need to be opening um to be able to people got to stay in business and there's only the government seems to be willing to spend trillions and trillions of dollars to support people and i'm sitting here going that the piper's going to come showing up for that at some point and (laughs) you know when all of a sudden milk's 11 dollars a gallon because we've got out of control inflation I'm, i'm sitting here going you know, early on, yeah, they needed to do something. And now the thing they need to do is open the economy. Let's let's get us back out there. We've shown a number of fairs from Florida to Texas. Um, even, you know, I spoke with Courtney Conkle from the Wyoming State Fair. We have demonstrated we can put mitigation strategies in place that allow us to have safe events. I'm curious, what are some of those strategies that we can expect to see from concessionaires moving forward? Well, I, I think masks are here to stay for an extended period of time, for sure. And hand sanitizer, you know, um, I, I think the three things is the sanitizing or washing your hands, the masks and, and social distancing, you know. That fair that we went to in Florida, they had no social distancing. There was no marks on the ground. There was nothing else, you know. And I, I was kind of disappointed by that because mm. we want them to do it right so we, <laughs> so others can do it, you know. Yeah, But um, I, I think those are the main things. And as people get uh, build up resistances from maybe having it and or get getting the injections, you know, it uh, should get better and better, I would think. I know we also uh, in that bar I was talking about, we have a softball complex where we have three softball fields and we didn't get any games in last year. And, you know, she's talking to them about, well, if we have to just open without spectators or whatever, you know, but. 
these guys are going crazy. They, they've been playing baseball every year of their life for, since they were kids. And, oh, yeah. You know, so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Are concessionaires, are you guys seeing changes in contract language for your 21 events as far as um, fares requiring you to be COVID safe and what those requirements are? They're just, they pretty much, they have a, the state of California came out with a contract that just says, basically, if anything in the world happens, you're responsible, we're not done, you know, and, and wow. that's only it took a page to write it, but that, that was the, uh, yeah, they're taking no responsibility for it. If you show up, you work, you're, you're it, you know, wow. I know like our drive-thrus, uh, we, we kind of have a system that we don't touch anything and we have runners and they all wear masks and all the kitchen guys wear masks and they put it all in a bag and hand the people a bag, you know, and, and that worked out pretty well, but uh, I don't know how that would be at a fair, you know, I don't think you're going to see self-service <laughs> anymore, not even ketchup yeah. pumps and mustard pumps and things like that, that were the norm, you know, right. Heinz has developed when you wave your hand over and it pumps your ketchup. How about that? I saw that at the food show. <laughs> well, that doesn't surprise me. We've put a photo cell on pretty much everything else from, you know, toilets to sinks to right. ticket gated right. entry things or not. So that doesn't surprise me. And, you know, Heinz will be sitting there making all the money on it and charging you an arm and a leg to put that system in on your trailer. Exactly. Is there, I mean, when it comes to the mitigation strategies and health standards, is there really that big a difference though, for you guys between now and pre COVID? I mean, y'all are already held to a pretty high standard because you're handling food um, with food safety standards. So that's exactly right. And, you know, we get, we get, um, inspected at every single event at least once some events every day and most restaurants in any city once a year possibly twice you know we're getting it 15 or 20 times or more you know and so yeah you're right and uh, they're, they're you know watching us all the time and I, I don't know some some people have the conception that oh fair food's going to be you know done out of a uh, you know non-sanitary conditions or whatever well that's not the case and you right. if you go look at the equipment today you know everything is built to spec and you don't ha you don't have a you don't really have a choice if you want to be in the business you got to do it right absolutely um let's talk about food itself here for a little bit um as concessionaires obviously y'all can't just wait until uh, you know a couple of days before an event to fill your stock truck uh at some point you have to make that investment in your product Talk to me, if you will, about your inventory costs in the midst of this crisis. Well, you know, I'll tell you what one of the biggest problem is, and, and we actually had a, a, a little talk on it at, at the NICA convention, is the supply chain. The supply chain is disastrous right now. You know, um, there's no food out there for necessarily what you need. You know, it might be a substitution. It might be, you know, we had a produce guy on this panel. We had a food distributor on this panel. And... Um, you know, they're the same thing. They, the, the food distributor said, oh, you're usually this time of year, I'm carrying a million and a half dollars worth of inventory. He says, I got 200,000 in there right now because I haven't had any work. He just takes care of fares. He says, I haven't had any work for a year, you know, so we're, we're juggling and this and that. And that, but all of a sudden, if he has to go buy four or $500,000 worth of food, it's not there to buy. So that supply chain is probably the biggest thing. Now, prices, yeah, prices are high. You know, meat prices are crazy. Produce is high. And we're going to see it get higher. You know, um, I don't know if you've noticed in your area, fuel prices, 
but wherever we are, it's got up about 50 cents in the last, uh, yep. last month or so. You I know, think so. we're up, depending on where you are in Albuquerque, since, uh, since the inauguration, I think we're up somewhere between 38 and 44 cents a gallon. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I've been in Florida, I've been in Arizona, both the same way, you know, just keeps, keeps climbing. And both well, of those. Doesn't, doesn't the uncertainty of not knowing whether you're going to have the events impact your food costs? Because it would strike me that if you knew, Hey, I'm going out June 1st and I'm out June 1st uh, until October 15th, I need uh, a half million Turkey legs that if they're available, you can make that purchase in bulk and you can hedge the hedge that price a little bit. But you can't buy that half million if you don't know whether or not half of your shows are going to cancel. So you're buying smaller amounts more often, which I'm assuming drives the cost up. It would if if the distributor had it. Let me tell you, like turkey legs. Turkey legs are a, a pretty giant item for the fair. And uh, NICA provides um, a benefit to our members uh, through Cisco Foods. And they'll bring Cisco will make sure that that's available. Like if they if they go through ten thousand turkey legs a year, they'll make sure that it's there, and they don't have to pay for it, et cetera. And we have that kind of relationship with them. But they're not putting ten thousand turkey legs in their warehouse if they don't think there's going to be a fair either. You know, right. I mean, they've actually we don't have any of the same salespeople we used to have in the sales force. They've either been laid off or gone somewhere else. Um, they've realigned a lot of their business away from restaurants to supermarkets and stuff, because again, trying to move what was in their warehouse as well as still, you know, break even. So uh, that whole, that whole supply chain thing is upside down. If, if all the fairs said, well, we're going to open in uh, this year, uh, it would be chaotic. I think, you know, I hope it is, but it'll be chaotic. (laughs) It might be a better kind of chaos than what we're dealing with now, but it, it, but you bring up a valid point. It's not just about your ability to, to pay for it, the manufacturers themselves, you know, I'm uh, some of these, I'm sure North American Midway or RCS or some of these major carnival operators, they're probably buying in the easily in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of an item um, over the course of a year. But if they're not buying them, if they're not buying them, then why is, like you said, why is the manufacturer going to produce them and put them in their, in their warehouse? That's exactly right. I was told that um, when, when they, closed Houston and uh, RCS had to close. They had four uh, trailer loads of turkey legs there ready to go. You know, I mean, I, I mean that, that place does crazy business. I mean, business like most of us have never seen, you know, Yeah. I heard something like um, the uh, Oreo cookies for the, dipped oreos my friend sells those there and she said she had five pallets of oreo cookies you know <laughs> so i don't know what do you oh do oh my god that's <laughs> so many oreos yeah yeah but you know they ended up which is quite nice of them they ended up donating a lot of that to the food banks and stuff there in houston you know because they, yeah. they couldn't haul, they couldn't haul it away and store it anywhere they didn't have you know and they're right most of them but are they paid for it they paid for all that food up front they absolutely did. Yeah. And so that's that's a donation and that's nice of them to make that donation and very kind of them, but that's that's a lot of money lost. Um, not, not not counting the money they would have made there, but just the money that they had to put out, yes. Yeah. Cuz you guys like, you know, like entertainers kind of have it easy, I think. Um <laughs> other than needing to buy, you know, some some airplane tickets in advance or maybe we buy our hotels in advance to get a better rate. Um, we tend to have very little overhead 
And yet I right. still hear entertainers really complaining and I'm like, Oh, come on now. <laughs> we're, we're not in as bad shape as, as the concessionaires and, and the fairs. And um, I just feel like we all got to work together and, and be patient and empathetic and to be able to, for all of us to get back into it. Looking forward into 2021, what's the feeling in on your side of the industry? Are we are we gonna get events open? Or are we gonna see? I mean, we've seen some big ones go down so far. Houston went down. Uh, Miami's moved their dates. LA has canceled for this year. What do you think we're looking at for the rest of the year? Well, I, I think we're gonna see a lot of cancellations. We might see a few scaled down events. You know. Um, one of the things I see as a problem in California is a lot of these fairs don't have help now. They've laid everybody off or the people have retired or gone, went and got other jobs and et cetera, et cetera. You know? So I can think of two or three big California fairs that don't have concession managers right now. Yeah. And uh, one of them called us to do a, a drive through event. And um, this person was just totally unaware of what it takes. So, you know that oh you guys have bunkhouse oh you use the, the rv park you, you know it's like yeah these are just kind of the basics of how we work you know yes. but um so it, it could be you know and it takes a lot of manpower and experience to put on a fair so uh, i think that's one of the going to be one of the big challenges if they are able to do it you know what do you think the future looks like for california fair specifically oh if only i had my crystal ball <laughs> uh, you know, I think we're going to have a, a, a tough 21, and uh, I'm just hoping that 22, you know, is wide open. Uh, that's that's just a hope. I can't say that it's going to happen, but, you know. Yeah, I think a lot of it depends on the, the size of the fair. I think, honestly, um, I think the smaller fairs are probably more primed to be able to open in full in 2022, um, you know, big, big events like OC or Del Mar LA or the, or Cal Expo, or they're going to need a year or two of, of data and metrics to looking at, at their numbers to really understand what opening is going to look like. It's, you know, I don't know, but I know they need their non-fair events open. Like that would go a long way towards helping write the ship out there. Cause it's not just the fair that they profit off of, you right. know, they're, they're making money off of the RV and boat show and all that stuff. And what I understand is these, uh, you know, there's a lot of vaccinations being done at fairgrounds around the country. And I understand in California that they're not getting paid for anything except expenses. You know, um, I know on our local fairgrounds, they have, a, um, you know, they had a testing site and that they took one of the buildings for months, you know, and I know they got some money for that. But I and now they're using the big building as uh, for um vaccine vaccines and uh, i understand they're just getting break-even money just covering expenses so yeah. you know it's kind of going backwards as well well i think they'll uh it's going to be a few years though i i think everybody recovers but it's it, it might not be all at the same time you might have some fairs that have to close their doors for a couple of years and then maybe you know some kind of investment or something comes up or an opportunity comes up and they can, they can write that ship and get open again. It's just heartbreaking to see what's gone on in the industry. Um, certainly it's been a hell of a year. I'm curious uh, for you and other concessionaires out there, other than the fair food drive-throughs, are there other ways that you've been able to generate some revenue in this last year? Well, we've done some street side sales, you know, um, as well as there's a, quite a few vendors that have do, are doing street side sales where they will set up in a parking lot or whatever. It's a different set of um, 
health requirements than a fair is. You know, you have to have onboard water and onboard sewer. And, and that's not something that most fair concessions have because every fairground supplies that, you know, right. so. Um, and if you have to put a generator on, if you don't have power, you know, so there's an investment in doing it. Um, but quite a few people are doing it. They've, especially as time goes on farther and farther, it's like, God, we got to get out there and do something, you know. And if you don't have the big rent factor, you know, and the fares, rents average about 25% or more, you know, if you don't have that rent factor, um, you can have a little more, you don't have to do quite the volume to make money. So, yeah. So it gives you at least an opportunity to make, you know, generate some revenue. I mean, for most of you guys out there, you talked about um, earlier, you know, some of those trailers are quarter million, half million dollar trailers. There's a, there's a note attached to those. The bank would like their money for it, of course. Um, So you just hope you generate enough revenue to be able to put, at least keep yourself from falling behind and and break even. That's Um, it. In California, I I have quite a few friends that are open in a parking lot, you know, and they've been there for a month or two or three or more. And so they must be uh, at least making something. Yeah. We saw a bunch of them popping up around here in Albuquerque and mall parking lots and whatnot. And uh, up until probably November. And then I'm guessing with the winter months, they've cleared out because it's gotten so cold here. My gut feeling though, is probably in another month, we'll see them start, you know, the hot dog stand and the elephant, uh, elephant ears or funnel cakes will start popping back up around the city again. And yeah, I just hope everybody can get back to work. <laughs> I need to go. I need to go get some fair food myself. Um, certainly, as rough as this last year's been, there's got to be some bright spots. What are some of the good things that are going on with you right now? I'm retired. That's the best thing. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's coming at us from his RV in Arizona today. Where are you at Havasu, or where are you? No, uh, we've been kind of. Um... Uh, we're, we're in Yuma right now. We're heading right. to Phoenix, Phoenix for spring training next week. Um, and then uh, we've been over in Green Valley for a few weeks. We like that place. This is kind of our first time down here doing this. So we're, kind of, we're going to all different places. We are going to go to Havasu for a week or two and yeah. see what we like there. And so uh, it's been fun. We've been out for a few months now and uh, planning on another month and a half or so before we go home. Well, if I was retired, man, I'd, I'd tell you what, I might be doing spring training in Florida because I'd want to watch the Mets, but who, who are you uh, Who are you looking to go see for spring training? Oh, uh, we're Giants fans. Well, nobody's perfect, you know. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say the same about the Mets, but you know. What, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> what did you think about the Trevor Bauer deal? Well, you know, I, I don't understand the big business anyway. You know, I, I, I didn't fo- I haven't followed it that much just because uh, we we don't have, um, you know, one of the things that we don't have is TV in, in the motorhome. You'd think we would. It's a big old bus, but um, we, we don't watch TV or anything. So we miss a lot of that stuff. We, he, less, we miss a lot of the propaganda, too. You know? he, yeah, he closed with L.A. with the Dodgers three years. And I want to say it was like one hundred and five million dollars like 40, 40, the 45, the first year, 40, the second. And he did all, he's a career 3.9 ERA pitcher. He's a, he's a number three starter at best. And he just got the largest contract in, in, uh, per, per year in major league history off of 11 games in a pandemic shortened season. How's that for 11 games of work? And you, you needed yourself. Where does that sense the common sense come from? I don't get that at all. Telling you what, I, hey, more power to him. If he can command it, I'd take the money and run. I, uh, 
I wouldn't want to be the Dodgers owner right now, though, having to be on the hook for that kind of money if he gets injured. Yeah. No, thanks. No, thanks. Um, listen, having been in the concession game a long time, uh, what's something you know now that you wish you'd known when you got started? Sell corn dogs only. <laughs> Keep it simple. You know, um, there's certain items that are, are, and you know, corn dogs, if you see most corn dog vendors, they might be second, third generation, you know, right. it's, it's a very profitable item and everybody wants a corn dog when they go to the fair, you know, so I think, uh, or ice cream, we, we actually have a couple ice cream stands as well. And they're, they're real profitable, but you know, you get, I started out uh, beer, but then I went to, and beer is always a higher rent. So even though it seems like, God, this guy must be making a lot of money. He's paying the fair a lot of money too, you know? Right. Um, but I started out in barbecue and, you know, I, I worked my butt off and hauled three or four trailers around to set the whole thing up and <laughs> do the, do the highest gross on the fairgrounds and make the least money, you know? So, well, yeah, was, the, uh, the overhead on that, that barbecue is not cheap. That's that the stuff. Meat prices are just crazy. Then now they're even worse. So I, I'm glad I got out of that. If I would have known, I guess when I started, I never would have sold barbecue. What, in your experience, what's the most profitable item to sell on a fairgrounds? Parking. <laughs> 10 bucks, go park over there. <laughs> yep. You know, um, in the food business, it's pretty much uh, ice cream, water, uh, drinks, you know, of any kind, um, and corn dogs. I could go for a corn dog right now. See, I got to quit doing these these interviews with concessionaires because they just make me hungry and make me want to make me want to go shove a corn dog or a turkey leg in my face. What um what are some of the positive you see moving forward for the industry? Well, I I, I don't know. I can't come up with a whole lot of positive right now because there's so much negative out there. You know, yeah. I think that um, people have become. Um, better friends or concessionaires helping each other. You know, uh, we all realize that we're kind of in this thing together. And, and um, I don't know if that'll change when everybody goes to work, but when they're sitting at home, they, they seem to be okay with it, you know? Right. Uh, so I'm hope I'm hoping that that's a positive. Um, I'm hoping that these fairs, you know, one of the big things is, you know, I'm talking about corn dogs and ice cream. Well, if you get a, uh, somebody that works in a fair that doesn't understand the business, then they put 12 corn dog stands in. All of a sudden, corn dog stands aren't the place to be, you know. And it's a, something that we've over the years we're always fighting. Look, you know, give the people a variety, but don't take it away from us. You know, I, some fairs I've seen in Florida, the Florida State Fair for one, they sell by the foot and they don't care what you sell. And you have like eight funnel cake trailers in a row. You know, well, what the heck? Wow. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And it doesn't make any sense to the show, I don't think, to make, to, you know, the customer doesn't get to uh, have those choices or, you know, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I can't answer that question right now. Yeah, I've often wondered at some of the fairs that I go to, I, I've been to somewhere, man, if you've got one of those lemonades, you know, the, uh, the lemon stand. Yeah. You're yeah. like, there's an exclusive and you're it. And like nobody else is allowed to sell lemonade on the ground so that it makes it more profitable for that person sure. that's that's terrific but then i go to other ones where i see like six of them and it's yep. not a huge figure like i understand something like 
LA County or Del Mar or the state fair of Texas, you can have more than one place to get lemonade. That's just because of the sheer size, but you got to distribute them kind of evenly around the ground so that you don't have two guys across from each other, both selling the exact same product. And then all of a sudden there's a price war that starts. Yeah. Well, we, we have three of those lemons, you know, and so we, we go through that and, it's, it's a fight with management to say, hey, look, all we sell is lemonade. We don't sell anything else. If they don't buy lemonade. We don't sell anything, you know. So right. um, these these guys across from you that are, you know, have 25 things on their menu, they got something else to sell. We don't, you know, come on, give us a break. And so some managers have some, some say, hey, you want to be here? That's what you're going to do, you know. Yeah. And, and the lemon draws well. And, our you know, it depends on the product. You can have one of those cute little lemons and sell crappy lemonade, too. You know, yeah. some, of the, some of the people don't do fresh squeeze. They don't, you know, they'll buy a concentrate or whatever and just to get it out. And uh, so we find that, you know, once people know that you got a good product and what your location is, they'll come back to you over and over. And we do a refill, refill policies on ours, you know, and yeah. so uh, they, we refill our own cups over and over. Now, I don't know what COVID's going to do to that. I'm thinking that that's probably not going to happen anymore, but that's true. And then it kind of, it kills the, it kills the value of, of a souvenir cup exactly. to be able to refill because it's not like you start to lose the value. If you say, oh, you have your souvenir cup with you. Well, here, let me just give you a tall plastic cup of it and you can pour it in yourself. Well, now you're, there's still more cost there. Now you got to have an extra set of cups for, and it's I'll tell you, some, it's these, change some it. of these small town fairs that we've been playing for years you'll see cups that we had four or five years ago. They save them and bring them back to get the refill price, you know? And you, like, and you still refill them year after year. Oh, absolutely. That's absolutely. Fantastic. That's fantastic. I tell you what, I've been on some of those grounds where you can, uh, you can tell they used to concentrate and didn't mix real well. Cause it puckers you real quick. If it yeah. does not taste good. Yeah. Like, uh, we, we hate to see that, you know, and people don't, don't hold up the quality. I always feel like lemonade should have a little bit of, cause it's a lemon. It should have a little pucker value to it, but it should be mostly sweet and smooth in taste. And there's some that I'm just like, did you just pour six pounds of sugar into this along with your concentrate mix? And my eyes are watering. <laughs> yeah. And that was that employee that you just hired today and said, Hey, go make lemonade, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You think oh, all you're doing is mixing, mixing some, uh, some water and ice and whatnot, but no, there's a little more to it to make sure that flavor comes out. Right. Well, we squeeze a lemon for every single one we do. So, you know, that's cool. That's cool. Well, listen, um, I appreciate you being on the show here. We're just about out of time before we go. Everyone who comes on the show goes through a little series of speed round questions. So I'm going to ask you a handful of questions and you give me your best answer for each. Are you ready? Oh, Okay. He's like, I don't know what's coming. What's going to happen? Question one, you can only eat one fair food item the rest of your life. What is it? Um, ceviche. Okay. Uh, question two, if money is no object, where would you want to travel when the pandemic ends? A world cruise. Favorite music artist? Um, that's a hard one. Give me a name. Uh, Paul Simon. <laughs> Paul Simon. That's a good one. That's a good one. We'll take it. Uh, if you could have a guest role on any television show, past or present, 
which would it be? Hmm. Playboy After Dark. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you remember that years ago? <laughs> oh my God. That's excellent. I love it, Don. Would you rather drive a car or a truck? I drive a truck. You drive a truck and iPhone or Android? I'm an Android. Excellent. Don, it's been a real pleasure getting to visit with you today. If folks want to get in touch with you or learn more about NICA, where can they do that? Um, we have a Facebook page for my, myself or NICA, as well as a website. And, um, you know, all the numbers are there, director's names there. So you can talk to somebody in your area if you like. Don Delahoy, the immediate past president of NICA. We wish you and all your concessionaires well. Enjoy Arizona. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks, Robert. Have a good day. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.